with me to 1 John. Last week we covered all of chapter 1, so we're going to be in chapter 2. Um, in the first four, four, was it four verses? Yeah, the first four verses, uh, just a beautiful picture of Jesus and how the disciples were able to experience Him on every level. They said that they saw Him, they heard Him, their hands beheld Him. And so those are the three learning modalities. That's how we learn stuff. We see through the eye gate, we hear through the ear gate, we tactile or kinesthetic through hands-on. So I just found that interesting um, as a teacher. You know, we're teaching and that's why your retention will go up if you take notes. If there's something that you want to learn. Because you're not only seeing the speaker, hearing the speaker, but now your hands are involved and you're doing something you're moving with it. So you'll notice sometimes if somebody's going to show you how to do something, you have to say, get out of the way, let me try it, let me try it. Okay? And then again, your retention goes up. Now, when we got to um, two verses really stood out. Verse, this is chapter one, just by way of introduction. Uh, <clears throat> verse six says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And then... Uh, verse 10 says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so, we recognize that even though we don't walk in habitual sin, we struggle with sin. And we're going to see the, you know, as he continues to go on in this book, he's going to continue in that vein. Now, I do want to raise the question, and I want you to think about the answer to yourself, but the question is, what happens when you are practicing a sin and it's brought to your attention? Maybe you're reading the scriptures, you hear a Bible study, um, or you even kind of know and then the Lord brings it to you. You know, What is the reaction? What, what do you generally do with that? Because we definitely want to talk about that. We want to talk about... Uh, we don't want to walk in habitual sin. We don't want to practice sin. Yes, we're going to stumble. Yes, we're going to make mistakes in life. But if you are committing a sin that you know is not appropriate or right, then that speaks to your heart and it speaks to the lack of conviction that the Lord is trying to bring to you. And, and a, a callus can begin to develop over your heart. You can begin to get a stubborn or hard heart, is what the Bible calls it. And so as Christians, we want to remain pliable. We want to remain open and vulnerable to God. Because God loves us. And He wouldn't tell us something that uh, not to do that you know we should do, or to do something that we shouldn't be doing. And so, cooperate with God. Remain that sensitive spirit with him um, and you'll see that's how we grow in the grace and knowledge of God in his word so the title of the message is a Christian cannot hate and that's kind of tough sometimes because we yeah. hate I mean people do stuff to us and our hearts begin to get embittered and it's just unfortunate but we hold on to certain things out of a protective mode. We want to protect our hearts because we don't want to hurt again. Or we've been violated and we don't want to be violated again. Yeah. 
But we have to look out and, and guard against hate. It should never, ever be named amongst a Christian. And it's one of those things where, okay, we're going to read a verse that clearly says, you don't know God if you hate. Wow, God, that's, that's kind of in my face. That's a little uncomfortable. What do I do with that? Even if I want to, God, I don't know if I can not hate. So what do we do in those cases? So hopefully by the end of the Bible study, we'll, we'll have that answered. But ultimately, again, we let God be true in every man alive. And if we are willing, I think I mentioned, I don't know, in one of the Bible studies I taught, I had a couple who were wondering whether they should stay together. And um, I was speaking to the, to, the, to the guy in the relationship, and I said, are you willing? Are you willing to work on the things you need to work on? And he said, yeah, I'm willing. I said, is she willing? Is she willing to work on the things that she needs to work on? And he said, yeah, yeah, she communicated to me that she's willing. I said, give me a will in God, and you have a miracle. Watch what God can do with a willing spirit. <coughs> Somebody who's willing to say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to let you work. I'm willing to give you my heart. I'm willing to walk in the path that you want to lead me. Ooh, sky's the limit. Uh-oh. Watch out, because God can do a wonder. Now, God won't force your will, and God won't force himself upon you. But if there's a willing heart, and God, sky's the limit. So, it's what a beautiful thing. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you speak to us through. We thank you just for... Your ability to de uh, dig deep within us to reveal certain things that are kind of sometimes uncomfortable and awkward to recognize. And Father, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for this time. And we offer this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read through, uh, let's see how should we do this. We're going to do verses 1 through 11. Let's see how much of it we get through. I'll comment on the end part, and then we'll come back to the beginning part. How about that? Well, let's try it like that. So this is 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says, my little children, what an endearing term from John. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. So we're going to come back to those two verses. Verse 3, now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. I think that's very important right there. We know that we know God when we keep His commandments. Why? Because as God's commandment goes out, God is convicting us of something that we're not doing or something that we should be doing. And then he empowers us from the inside out to obey the command to God be the glory. Right? Now we can resist that. And if we resist that over a lifetime, maybe we don't know God. Maybe we've heard about God. Maybe we're religious as opposed to a person that has a relationship with God. So that's an important factor because God is on the hook for completing the work that he's begun. Right? Philippians 1.6 So if God's going to complete the work that he's begun in your life and in my life, then obedience to God's commandments should be the criteria that we're looking at that God is doing the work in our lives. Um, 
I prayed with a brother at work today. He was going to go home and minister to his son. His son has been living out of his car, um, struggling with certain things, was in a some type of house or something. And he tells me, bro, he reads the Bible every day. He knows the Bible inside out. I said, bro, knowing the Bible means nothing. Tell him to obey it. <laughs> obey what he knows. So I think it's great that we know the Bible. I think it's great that we study the Bible. I think it's great that we read the Bible. Obey the Bible. That's a big difference. Verse 4, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Whoa, God, a fighting word. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now this is where Pastor Chuck Smith would say that we become like that which we worship. As we walk with Jesus in life, we will become like Jesus. And what was Jesus? The opposite of religious people today, wasn't he? So compassionate, so patient, so long-suffering, so tender. And I am convicted, I'm convicted as I study who Jesus was and um, just the way he treats me. Man, what a what a love story. What a love story. Just he is so patient. And then when he needs to, he hits me upside the middle of the head with a two by four. Because I often need that. But it's out of love. Right? He chastens those whom he loves. And so I think it's very important again that as we walk with him, we become like him. Verse seven, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Wait, John, are you writing a no no new commandment or a new commandment? Yeah, it, it's been said. He's, he's just going to say, but here, he's going to reiterate it again. Verse 8, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in, in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no darkness, no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. <clears throat> and so we know the strategy of the enemy is to divide and conquer. And through his deceptive tactics, he wants to get us one degree off at a time until we're walking away from God. I have a book that um, says, in the moment of temptation, Satan doesn't fill our hearts with a hatred for God, but with a forgetfulness of God. So we're enamored with the tinsel, you know, the shiny object. Whoa, whoa, distraction. What's that? Squirrel, you know. Our, our, our view is taken off of our Lord and Savior and onto the shiny little object that Satan is dangling in front of us. And before you know it, it's not like we hate God and we're going to do this sin. God's over there somewhere where we're no longer focused on Him. And so may we maintain that focus, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. For the joy that, right? That's Hebrews 12 too? Yeah, who for the joy set before Him uh, endured the cross, despising the shame. So, if... I have hate in my heart. And I read a verse like this and I realize, wow, 
God's pretty serious about this hate thing. Lord, I have hate in my heart. Like, I hate this person. I, I just hate this person. God, what do I do with that? I, I, I have this, but yet the light of your word is confronting me with this truth. What do I do with that, God? Right? Because just it's not like just a switch that, well, okay, all that bad stuff that that person did to me, all that pain that I've been through, all that hurt, all that anguish, right? That's not going anywhere, if you will. Yeah. So, Lord, now what do I do with that? Because I have a truth that I'm confronted with, and yet I have this thing over here. I, I'm now, whoa, now I'm confronted with, God, this is against you. Okay, if, if this is the case, confess, repent, and then ask for help. There, there's in the simplicity of biblical, uh, you know, sanctification. Confess it. What does confess mean? I got to say the same thing that God. I got to call it what God calls it. What do we do with sin? Our darling sins, as I heard at the men's conference. We have these little pet names. Why is this a little, a little, a little white one? A little, little one. Really? It's a big, fat, ugly, black, dirty lie. Right? Well, it's a gray area. Well, gray is white and black mixed together, right? So there's some black in it. Right? There's some darkness in it that makes it gray. Maybe not a gray area. Maybe a black area and you see it as light black. Right? So we have to begin to confess, and we can't when we call things by their pet names. Well, I mean, I mean, everybody, if, if you knew my story, you, you, anybody would feel the way I do. Anybody would be reacting the way I am. Yes, in the natural, you're right. In the natural all day. But God is calling us to something supernatural. So we need to be careful with that. Confess, to say the same thing as God. Repent. Turn from it. Lord, i, I got to change this. Now, my emotions might not change immediately. But Lord, I'm repenting in my acknowledgement of confessing that you are saying that this is wrong. This is sin. This is newsflash to me. I mean, I knew that hate was bad. But Lord, these words that you're saying here are pretty serious. And so Lord, my acknowledgement is, I'm confessing it. I'm saying the same thing as you. Lord, I want to turn away from that. And then watch God change you as you follow after. Lord, I can't do this. You're going to have to do it for me. Mm -hmm. Watch him flex your muscles. Flex his muscles through you. And that's what the Lord loves to do. Okay? So I think that's very important of that dynamic. Jump back to verses 1 and 2. We're going to end there. He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Even though in the previous verse it says, if we say we have no sin, we're a liar, right? And we will sin. And 1 John 1, 9 is the, they call it the bar of soap for the Christian, right? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, clean us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. But the Bible is written so that we wouldn't sin. We don't have to sin. But we will sin, because we're imperfect. We're in a fallen world. We have a real enemy. And our flesh is weak. Even if our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, the Bible says. And so we will sin, but the Bible is written so that we wouldn't sin. 
That's important to know. And if anyone sins, he goes on, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ. So, Psalm 32, verse 5. Let me kind of define some terms. Sin, right? In Psalm 32, verse 5, the Bible says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. Different word, right? So first, I acknowledge my sin to you. Then, iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think about that. So you have these three words, sin, iniquity, transgressions. We need to understand where it comes from. All sin is sin against God. It's lawlessness, specifically, against God. It comes from an evil heart. 1 John 3, 4, the Bible says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So lawlessness, not having the law, not having a set of guidelines, a code of conduct, a, a moral code to be able to run your life by. That's lawlessness, right? I got no code. I got no structure. I, got no, I just wing it. I just, <laughs> you know, I just try to figure it out. So sin and its cognates are used 786 times in the NIV Bible. 786 times. So these types of words for sin, 786 times. Now, sin means to miss the mark. If you were, you know, had a bow and arrow in your hand and you had a target not too far away and you pulled that bow back, that arrow in the bow, and you pulled it back and you missed the target, that would be called a sin. Yeah. So you missed the target. The target... For your life, from God's perspective, is perfection. God has a perfect plan for you, right? And the amazing thing about God is, God knows where He's at in instructing you in your life. Unlike people who want to tell you what they think you should be doing, God knows exactly what you should be doing. And God knows more importantly, what He wants to do in and through you. And so if you can learn to discern the voice of God, if you can learn to cooperate with God, you know what? There are going to be mistakes you make, and there are going to be things in your life that... But if that's not what God's working on, focus in on what God is working on. Get what God wants you to get in those moments. So missing the mark. It can refer to doing something against God or a person. Exodus 10, 16. Doing the opposite of what is right. Galatians 5, 17. Doing something that will have a neg negative result, Proverbs 24, 33 through 34. And failing to do something you know is right, James 14. In the Old Testament, God even instituted sacrifices for unintentional sins in Numbers 15, 27. Sin is the general term for anything that falls short of the glory of God. What does Romans 3, 23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the... Glory of God. So our sin falls short of the glory of God. Right? Our sin nature causes us to gravitate naturally towards selfishness, envy, and pride, even when we are trying to do good. Remember Paul writing in Romans 7.18? He says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. So the sin nature leads to trespassing. That's our second word. Trespassing. 
A trespasser is someone who crosses a line or climbs a fence that he should not climb, cross or climb. A trespass may be intentional or unintentional. Trespass can also mean to fall away after being closed beside. Peter trespassed when he denied Jesus in Luke 22, 34-56. I'm sorry, verse 34, and then 56-62. We all cross the line in thought, word, or attitude many times a day and should be quick to forgive others who do the same, according to Matthew 6, 15. Now, that was <coughs> trespassing. Transgression refers to presumptuous sin. To transgress is to choose to intentionally disobey. Transgression is willful trespassing. Samson intentionally broke his Nazarite vow by touching a deadline in Numbers chapter 6, Judges 14, and allowing his hair to be cut in Judges 16. In doing so, he was committing a transgression. David was referring to this kind of sin when he wrote, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Psalm 32, verse 1. When we knowingly run a stop sign, tell a lie, or blatantly disregard an authority, we are transgressing. And then finally, iniquity is more deeply rooted. Iniquity refers to a premeditated choice. To commit iniquity is to continue without repentance. David's sin with Bathsheba that led to the killing of her husband, Uriah, was iniquity, 2 Samuel 11, 3 and 4, 2 Samuel 12, 9. Micah 2, 1 says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning light they carry it out because it is their very power to do it. In David's psalm of repentance, he cries out to God saying, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." Psalm 51, verse 2. It is as if we stand... Okay, so that's all the terms um, that we were just... Iniquity, transgression, we saw trespass in there, and then of course we saw sin, to miss the mark. And so these different levels of sins, or these different degrees of sins, will give you an insight into your insensitivity to God, or your sensitivity to God. When you give God high-handed sin, that's a whole different level. God, you're drawing a line in the sand. And you're telling me not to go over it. When you have high-handed sin, you're like, God, what are you going to do about me crossing over this line? Because I've reached the point where I don't care. That's not good. What would you do to your children if they did that? They'd probably get a spank. Right? I did. That's the only thing we spank for. Defiance. And that's a defiant spirit. And those that's not soft to the Lord. That's not a soft heart, and a pliable heart. And so, God will always give the law to the prideful and grace to the humble. Do you want grace? Or do you want the judgment of the law? The law condemns, right? It, it shows us that we fall short all the time. Nobody can hold to that perfect standard. And so, we want to receive the grace of God. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, the Bible says. So I think it's very important. And again, let's, you know, let's be honest and let's be transparent. We all probably struggle with this at times in our life. Yeah. There's nobody that's without this. There's just, we think we've got certain things figured out, or we're confused about something, and we don't appreciate what's currently happening, the circumstances, or 
things that are going on. And so the enemy clouds all of this stuff with confusion in our heads. And before you know it, we're thinking, well, well God could have did something or God should have stepped in and uh, God's not going to give me what I want anyway. So uh, be careful that we get to those places. And again, I think we all get there. I think we all at times struggle with these things. And that's part of the trusting um, thing that we need to learn with God. But Lord, you really are trustworthy. I really can't come to you with this deep stuff. Man, even when I'm off, you still love me. It's an incredible thing. So be careful, you know, with these different degrees and these different things. And let's continue to walk with the Lord. Now, the last thing, it says if anyone sins in that first verse, he says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. Big word. All it means is he appeases the wrath of God. God hates sin. Sin must be judged. Jesus' sacrifice met the requirement of the wrath of God. So that we wouldn't receive that wrath, Jesus took it for us on the cross. That's all propitiation is. The appeasement of a deity. The appeasement of wrath of a deity. Um, so this idea of an advocate. I found this. Some of you have probably heard it. Let me read it to you and we'll close here. Is a court scene and Jesus is our lawyer. It is as if we stand as the accused in the heavenly court before our righteous judge, God the Father. Our advocate stands up to answer the charges. He is completely guilty, Your Honor. In fact, he has done even worse than what he is accused of and now makes full and complete confession before you. The gavel slams and the judge asks, What should his sentence be? Our advocate answers, His sentence shall be death. He deserves the full wrath of this righteous court. All along, our accuser, Satan, is having great fun at all this. We are guilty. We admit our guilt. We see our punishment. But then, our advocate asks to approach the bench. As he draws close to the judge, he simply says, Dad, this one belongs to me. I paid his price. I took the wrath and punishment from this court that he deserves. The gavel sounds again, and the judge cries out, Guilty as charged, penalty satisfied. Our accuser starts going crazy. Are you even going to put him in probation? No, the judge shouts. The penalty has been completely paid by my son. There is nothing to put him on probation for. Then the judge turns to our advocate and says, Son, you said this one belongs to you. I release him into your care. Case closed. And so as our advocate, it's, I think it's more than just Jesus paid the price. He pleads our case. He pleads our case. In the book of Hebrews it says, He ever lives to make intercession for you. So the accuser of the brethren is constantly accusing us before God. I think it's neat you have that heavenly courtroom scene. I think the horrific thing is, the accuser of the brethren is accusing us to our face. And we don't have that savvy understanding that God has on it. And sometimes we believe that. We listen to His accusations. And we, we, we live in shame and guilt. And Jesus would tell us the same thing. It's been paid. No probation. No punishment. I took it on. And so I hope that we understand that. I know it's hard sometimes because we feel, it's too bad, i got to, i got to help God pay this one off. 
And so a lot of the bad stuff that's happening, that must just be payment for my bad stuff. Well, there's reaping and sowing for sure. But pay? You're not punished. None of us are punished. Jesus was punished on our behalf. 